Worldwide, there are nearly 800 million people who menstruate. Every 28 days, they experience a variety of symptoms, such as cramps, nausea, bloating, mood swings, fatigue, acne, and bleeding for nearly seven days straight. 500 million of those people lack the resources they need to manage their menstrual cycle. In the United States, one-third of low-income women miss commitments like school or work because of a lack of access to affordable menstrual care. There's only one federal law that addresses these issues. The First Step Act, codified by Congress in 2018, requires federal women's facilities to supply free menstrual products. As of June 20, 2023, 21 states still charge sales tax on menstrual products. This does not include any provisions on access to period products in schools, private prisons, and homeless shelters. Those without access to quality period products may extend the life of a tampon or pad in order to cut on costs. This increases the chance of toxic shock syndrome, reproductive tract infections, negative pregnancy outcomes, and the human papillomavirus. Beyond the health risks acquired by a lack of access to period care, a lack of menstrual products can lead to greater feelings of humiliation and exclusion, according to the ACLU. Jennifer Gaines, the program director of Alliance for Period Supplies, an organization that works to provide period products to women in need while also advocating for greater period equity, says additional taxes on menstrual supplies can make it difficult for families on a budget to purchase the products they need. And so the first thing by removing and eliminating that tax um, will continue to, um, you know, advance equity and specifically gender equity, right? So there's no reason why period products are taxed and other things are not. So removing that tampon tax will, um, you know, create a message that these products are essential. They're not a luxury. Um, and also removing the undue burden, additional burden of the financial constraints that I know people who can't afford them, um, you know, are able to access them a little bit more because that restraint is is removed. So we're only paying, you know, a few cents on the dollar, um, but that is uh, can make or break a family decision on whether or not they choose period products or just with their limited funds or they go to the grocery store and buy food to support their families. Indiana is among one of the 21 states nationally that still tax menstrual products. In the last legislative session, State Senator Shelley Yoder for Indiana's 40th District authored Senate Bill 259, which proposed removing taxes on menstrual products. The bill, however, never made it to a hearing. Items in Indiana are taxed if the state legislature determines they are a luxury. Yoder says placing a tax on menstrual items is spreading the wrong message about their necessity. Menstrual products are not a want, but a need for people who menstruate. Now, we made a decision that other items, like food, we would not tax because people need food to survive. So we're not going to build an economy on the back of people needing to eat food. But we have decided... Indiana is going to build an economy off the backs of women. And what my bill would do would be to say, no more. We're going, Indiana is going to join with the other states who now recognize this as an unconstitutional tax. And we're going to repeal the tax on menstrual products. You can't be in the same spaces as men without menstrual products. And my bill would just say, in Indiana, we recognize that as a constitutional right. And so we are not going to tax menstrual products any longer. 
The issue with the bill wasn't its lack of support. In fact, SB 259 had bipartisan support. Kyle Walker, the Republican state senator for Indiana's District 31, co-authored the bill. Yoder says the issue with the bill is the loss of tax revenue the state would lose if taxes on period products were eliminated. Yoder estimates the state receives nearly $5 million annually off taxed menstrual products. The bill, I couldn't even get a hearing. And I had so many conversations. I wrote letters, had face-to-face conversations, had bipartisanship with actually filing the bill. I had a co-author. My co-author was Senator Kyle Walker who agrees with me. And I had, I was just building a coalition of support. In the House, my bill was filed by a Republican man. There was a comparable bill filed by a Republican man in the House. This is not a partisan issue. This is an issue that I did my work and had the coalition built to get this passed. But there wasn't the will to let go of the revenue that's created by it. And to me, it's outrageous. And, and to many, that is outrageous. That in the same year that we are going to say, in Indiana, we're going to build an economy on the backs of women while we are stripping away their rights. Both of those things happen at the same time with the passage of SB1 and the passage of House Bill 1001, which was our budget, which is where that we should have passed that bill and our budget for the next two years should not be gathering taxes on the backs of women to be able to be in the same spaces as men in the workplace and at school. But tax revenue isn't the only reason the bill was denied a hearing. Yoder says discussing periods in the state house was uncomfortable for some legislators. I would say due to the lack of education and due to what continues today to be a discomfort in talking about menstrual cycles and periods, a reality that Every person with a uterus has, for about 30 years, 20 to 30 years of their lives, impacts women every 28 days. That is certainly on the minds of people who have menstrual cycles, but a real discomfort among those who have the power to do something about it. We have made a choice in this legislature to not tax certain items, and it felt very much like And we are intentionally going to tax these products. So it came down to just a lack of will to want to have this conversation in the public. Deep down, there is this taboo about talking about women's bodies unless we are silencing them or banning them. Both SB1, Indiana's abortion ban, and SB259 were proposed in the same legislative session. However, while SB1 made it through the state house, complete with a signature from Governor Eric Holcomb, SB259 still awaits a hearing. Yoder says it's important the legislature considers a tax exemption on menstrual products. The bill proposed would not allow for free products, but it would ensure lawmakers don't profit off those who menstruate.
what's important to recognize is at no time is this about giving free products. I mean, women and girls already have to pay for these products. No one's asking for those products to be free. The bill just simply said, let's not tax them. Let's not, what are we, what are we saying? Um, taxing women and girls' ability to engage in society, to go to school and to go to work, we're going to tax them. And from that $5 million in revenue that Indiana, the state of Indiana is going to earn per year, let's build a sports complex. Let's build a new barn at the 4-H fair. I mean, what, what are we saying is, is going to be an outcome that's solely paid by women and girls having a uterus and having a period? What, what are we doing? What's worth it? Yoder is urging people to think about menstrual supplies as medical devices rather than hygiene products. While hygiene products are needed to look and smell good, medical devices are needed to survive. People without access to period supplies risk having to use less safe alternatives to stop blood flow. But I'm, I'm really clear um, just calling them hygiene products. No, they are defined as medical devices by the FDA. And these are not hygiene products to make you think like it's baby powder and deodorant. Not the same thing. Menstrual products are not the same thing as when you think about hygiene products. Hey, mom, can you pick me up a bar of soap from the supermarket? Not the same thing as I'm out of tampons. Yoder's bill is just the beginning when it comes to tackling the issue of period poverty nationwide. Menstruating people in homeless shelters and prisons across the nation struggle with access to period products. The ACLU reported on a particular case in a Michigan jail which deprived their women detainees of needed menstrual products. The women were forced to beg prison guards for products with some having to bleed onto their jumpsuits, which were only washed once weekly. One woman reported that prison staff once made 30 women share only 12 pads. For reference, 12 pads would not last a single woman through an entire cycle. When the prison was taken to court, the judge ruled the case, quote, too trivial to be considered a violation of the Constitution, end quote. There are numerous stories around the country of similar cases which deprive female inmates of necessary supplies. Organizations like Alliance for Period Supplies and the ACLU are advocating for better legislation that addresses period poverty. We advocate on state and federal level um, for legislative changes to period supplies accessible and affordable. Um, so that meaning advocating uh, to advance particularly related to period products in schools, um, as well as eliminating the sales tax on menstrual products. Um, and so we have a department here um, dedicated to government affairs that make relationships with elected officials across the country. Um, in collaboration, coalitions and nonprofit leaders um, to help educate these officials on the issue of period poverty um, and ways they can help to impact and get those products to the folks that, they, that need them the most. Activists and lawmakers advocating for period equity agree education among politicians is necessary. The topic of periods has long been viewed as, quote, taboo, and now that prejudice is slipping into state houses across the nation. To learn more about the advocacy work of the Alliance for Period Supplies, visit allianceforperiodsupplies.org. To contact your local representative about period equity, visit iga.in.gov. For WFHB, I'm Brooklyn Lambright.